Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Teach Rough the Film Buff podcast. One uh, it took a little bit longer for me to put together what I wanted to do for episode 21. You know, after episode 20, you know, things just go downhill from there. Um, no. Well, uh, this week what we're going to do is I'm going to give another list, um, but it's, it's going to be character-based instead of uh, last week was more actor-actress-based. Um, this is going to be a topic that I haven't discussed in, what, has it been four months now? Almost four months since the show ended, and that would be the one and only Game of Thrones. So what I decided to do for this one is count down my top 50 favorite Game of Thrones characters. It really um, just ranked from 50 to 1 in terms of best to worst in my eye. Or I'm sorry, worst to best. I'm already messing up. It's not even a minute in and I'm already messing up. Okay. Um, but I mean, I, I debated on and possibly including every single character that had over three or four episodes in the list and just ranking it that way. But really when it comes down to it, I mean, how am I supposed to rank like Balon Greyjoy versus Locke or Laria Sand or the rest of the Sand Stakes or Hisdar Zolarak, which I actually like that character a lot. I think that actor brought a lot to that small role over there in Marine. Um, well, characters like Randall Tarley, Barristan Selmy, uh, barely misses the list. Um, or do you include the dragons at all? Loris, Maester Aemon, uh, Gilly, Septolan. It's just a lot of choices to, to, to really break down the list from. Um, but I decided to just make it down to 50 to 1. I thought that that was a, a much better approach than, than just doing every single character making it a two-hour podcast there's really no need for that um but a couple other characters that just barely missed the list um benjamin stark euron Greyjoy, dario naharis mira reed um shay was up there i debated on putting shay in there because she does have her moments uh later on uh tom and Baratheon was really never close um i do like blackfish's role in the in the series even though he's only in you know, what, two seasons and five to six episodes total. Um, Miranda and Roz were never really close. Um, Pycelle is a pretty main character, for, or at least a main secondary character for a majority of the series. It's never really going to make it. Any of the folks up there on the wall, like Gren and Pip, not really a chance. Any of the rest of the Lannisters, like Lancel and Kevin. Um that's really what I, what I came down to. I mean, High Sparrow was never going to make it. Hate his role on the series. I think it just brings down those seasons that he's in. Uh, the Waif was obviously never going to make it. Probably my least favorite character on the entire show. Um, but those are those are really the the, the characters that that um, you know either just missed it or we're going to be way down at the bottom of the list. There's really no point in talking about them because I don't like them anyway. Uh, but let's get right down to it. Number 50. Who else could it be but Hot Pie himself, played by Ben Hockey? Um, I mean, it's one of those, like, it, you know, was it any question? I mean, could it be anyone else, number 50? Uh, he's just, he's always a happy guy. Uh, you know, a lot of people aren't happy and, and content on Game of Thrones, but he's just one of those guys that ju- he, just wanted to ma- he just wants to make some pies. Um and, and make people happy. Make it some pies in the middle of, uh, you know, middle of King's Road there. I think it's halfway down from Winterfell to King's Landing. Um, one of my favorite scenes that he's in is, is beginning of season seven when he comes back. Um, or really, uh, Arya visits that, um, you know, that little pub there and, and finds out that he's, you know, making some pies there. Didn't realize that he was still there or that was the place that he was, um, you know, working uh, just kind of bumps into him, and you know he tells her that Jon Snow won a battle, bastards. You should probably go home. What are you doing down here? Um, that's a turning point for Arya as a character, and it's basically because Hot Pie is giving her that information, um, and it's coming from somebody she trusts. If it's just somebody random, maybe she doesn't think twice about it, or maybe she thinks twice about it. But with with Hot Pie telling her there, I mean, she was going home. So. Love that little scene that he has, Hot Pie at number 50. Number 49, somebody who I guess enjoyed pies too much, uh, and that would be Walder Frey himself, played by David Bradley. Basically, inadvertently died, what, what was that? 
was the beginning of season seven, so I guess it was. It was right before that hot pie scene, actually. Um, the cold open of season seven when Arya uh, kills Walder Frey. Or I guess she kills him in the end of season six, but uses Walder Frey's face to kill the rest of the Frey family um, as revenge for the Red Wedding, of course. Um, you kind of knew that he, that David Bradley was going to play, like as soon as he gets on screen uh, in, in season one, just from watching him in Harry Potter all those years, you kind of knew that he was going to be that perfect, like slimy, villainous, but also completely coward, cowardly character. Um, oh God, one of my favorite scenes with him. Um, I mean, definitely his death scene is, is fantastic. Uh, but but when Catelyn during the Red Wedding pleads for for Rob's life and threatens to kill um, Walder Frey's wife or one of his wives, uh, he, you know he just gives that perfect delivery of "I'll find another one." It's just it, it's it's perfect. It it in that moment it gives you what little hope you had. It ruins it, completely removes any sort of hope you had for the Starks, Rob and Catelyn in that moment. Basically, all doomed. Um, it's because Walder Frey just had to make that deal with the Lannisters. So Walder Frey at number 49. Number 48, Thoros of Mir, played by Paul Kay. Hadn't really seen Paul Kay in anything else before or even after Game of Thrones until I saw him last year in um, Anna and the Apocalypse. I believe he plays one of the teachers, I think, or counselors. I think it's, I think it's a teacher. Um, but I, I, w- I wasn't, you know, he doesn't have a huge part uh, but he certainly has a presence in any scene he has with Beric Dondarrion or Arya. Um, you know, great stuff. I loved. I just love any monologues that either of those two characters have. And he's one of those many you know, people in this show that, for the longest time, you know, why are these? Why are they keeping these guys alive? They're, you know, they're disposable. Uh, but but he was kept alive to keep Arya alive, and, and eventually. You know, we know what Arya's true purpose was, and I'm sure we'll get to her later on. Um, that's number 48, Thoros of Mir. Number 47 is Kyburn, Anton Lesser. I think he honestly could have been higher up on the list if he would have had more uh, scenes by himself and he wasn't just always a secondary character to Cersei um, or the Mountain in those scenes. He's just one of those creepy fragile, I guess, in a way, but incredibly intelligent characters. Uh, You know, he's one of these characters, I mean, I'll mention it quite a bit on this list, but he has one of those voices that you can't help but listen to. Um, Whatever he's saying, you you have to pay attention to every single line because he's just got one of those creepy, again, but very smart. uh, There's always something behind his antics. Uh, and one of my favorite moments that he had was, wasn't even a line that he delivered, um, but was in season seven, episode seven, the dragon and the wolf, when, you know, everybody's meeting down there in the dragon pit to kind of discuss terms, you know, what are we going to do? It's, you know, are we going to have, you know, a break in this war? Uh, and, and they bring the walker up to, to show Cersei and the rest of the, the rest of King's Landing and, and Kyburn kind of sees the, the walker, sees the arm chopped off and he just picks it up and kind of just looks at it like, hmm. You know, what can I do with this? What, what, what purpose could this serve for me? Love that moment for Kyburn. That's number 47, Kyburn. Number 46, a uh, character who I think deserved more, but I also think it was probably right for them to not include as much as they did in the books, and that's Mance Raider himself, played by Kieran Hines. Um, I mean, what was he, in like four episodes? I mean, I guess from what I hear in the books, he was more involved. I, I have not read that far. Um, but from what I heard as well is that people prefer like that simpler story uh, for Mance. Like, you know, I guess they go too far in depth in the books. I don't know. I'll have to see when I eventually watch it. Um, but but he, w- he was too good as a performer to not give him a couple more scenes. I can't even believe it was only four episodes he was in. It seems really weird considering he spanned three different seasons like he had the one episode when he met Jon Snow he had uh I think I guess you can consider two episodes at the end of season four uh when they're all attacking the wall or maybe it was one episode uh in season four and then two episodes in season five no I think it was the end of the first episode in season five when he dies so it it's just it's weird to me that he didn't have more maybe it's because they couldn't get him for more time I don't know um 
But I think to me, my favorite moment with him was probably, honestly, his death scene and that whole sequence when he just won't kneel to Stannis. Um, because it kind of shows what John could be and what I guess he strives to be is that the character who won't bend the knee. And of course, we know that he eventually does bend the knee to Daenerys in season seven. Um, but I really, really loved the Mance Raider stuff. The little bits we had, I loved it. Um, and it was just another sign that Jon Snow's arc is, is getting better and better. That's number 46, Mance Raider. Number 45, Roose Bolton, uh, played by Michael McElhatton. I Again, he's just got one of those voices. I remember in season six when I initially got the uh, the Blu-ray for the for the season, uh, there was one episode, I think it's the episode where, where Ramsey kills him, where he, uh, Michael McElhatton and uh, Iwan Rion, who plays Ramsey, were doing the commentary for, for that episode. Um, and it was just impossible not to listen to every word he has to say. He's just got that powerful... British voice actually I think he might be Irish uh, but you know whatever some sort of year it, it, it's it's fantastic I'm so happy they got him for the show and he definitely picked up that 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 um that gap that um what's his name is it Karstark or is it uh Glover in the I think it's Glover in the first season who's like uh Richard Madden Rob Stark's like leading man secondary guy behind Theon uh that he just didn't come back for season two or season three, and Roose Bolton kind of filled that gap. So uh, loved whatever Roose was on screen. I love, I you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the Bolton arc in general in season three, season four, because that's when you just have to watch Ramsey torture Theon for two seasons. And but I mean, it, you know, Roose is always great in those scenes. It's just hard to watch. And of course, his portrayal of Catelyn and Rob is brutal. It's devastating. Um, definitely hard to watch. Number 44, Bran Stark, played by Isaac Hempstead Wright. Well, you know, this sure ended up, but I will say it makes complete sense for him to be king. But I do, I, I will say that I like the creepier Bran that we got once the seasons went on, um, as opposed to the, the, the earlier on Bran scenes where he's just, you know, he's just on this sort of, you know, tray for Hodor to carry around the entire time, like a backpack-like medieval thing. Um, you know, I mean, he's good. He, he, he's, a, he's a young actor. You don't expect him to really carry any of those scenes per se. Um, but I, I just I kind of prefer the presence that he brings in those latter seasons when it's just a creepier, like you just, you're on the edge of your feet because you just don't know what to think during those scenes. Um but anyway, that's Bran Stark at number 44. Number 43, Cal Drogo, played by Jason Momoa. I think if he were to have um, appeared in more episodes, I think he would have probably leaped forward on the list. But there's just so many good characters that have a bigger role than he does that I couldn't really push him any higher. Um, what's funny about Momoa is that this is the first thing I saw him in. And I was, because I didn't start Game of Thrones... Um, in real timeline until midway through season three or was it no it's the end of season four that's when I picked it up uh, like right in August of 2013 I think is when I started or September whenever I was at ICU um, and I remember it was right around December of 2013 you know I'd already watched the first season of course and that was the only thing I had seen Jason Momoa in I honestly didn't think he even spoke English because that's how much I believed him so much as the Dothraki leader um you know, obviously that's ignorant of me to not even look into Jason Momoa as an actor before I commented on his uh, role as Aquaman. Um, that's when they announced him. I was just so nervous. I was like, what? Jason Momoa? But of course, as I thought on it, I'm like, oh, he's a perfect Aquaman. He's a great actor. Um, but again, even if his death feels un kind of unearned and anticlimactic and almost just downright weird with the, the witch thing that happened... Um, Again, I just love his presence. I do think he deserved a better death, though. And maybe that's the way it is in the books. Again, I haven't gotten that far, but uh, I just think he deserved better. Number 42, Samuel Tarley, played by John Bradley. He's had his moments. I will say that. He's had his moments. 
um, including season eight, when I thought he really stepped it up, especially when he has the discussion with Jon Snow right after he receives the information from Daenerys that she has killed both his brother and his father. Um, I think that John Bradley in those moments, that's some of the best, best acting he's ever done. Um, but again, that's season eight. I, if I'm being honest, I completely dreaded his scenes whenever they would come on screen, especially when he was not with John. So like anytime in season two, he's not with John, like later on in season two, when they split up most of season three, all of season six, all of season seven, um, not a fan of those scenes, not a fan of those scenes. Um, but I loved Brad Bradley's acting, uh, in those scenes and especially in season eight. Um, it's just the material that they were giving him. That's number 42. Number 41, moving on, is The Mountain. Gregor Clegane, played by, and I'm going to botch this name, but Half-Bore Julius Bjornsson. Um, and again, I mean, what was The Mountain played by three different actors during the course of, of the show? Um, you know, so for most of the time, it's, he's really not much more than mumbling, pumbling through his words and sentences in a big sort of monster threat to the side but you feel his presence especially whenever the hound is on screen um and whenever you know there's a subtle callback to why he got his his scar or the burns on his face you you, you feel the mountain you think back to especially what he did to Oberyn, and i mean i i'm not even going to pick that as my favorite moment of his because of a moment i'm about to mention but wow was that a scene uh i mean we'll get into it later on when we maybe get to Oberyn Martell. We'll see. Uh, but no, my favorite moment with, with uh, the mountain is actually, I believe it's in season six. Um, and again, all of his kills are amazing. But when there's that one sequence where the, the, the people on the streets are kind of talking shit about Cersei after she did her walk of shame or walk of atonement, I guess. Um, and the one guy goes off to the side to go take a pee and... <laughs> Uh, he, he, the mountain walks up behind him. He gets all scared, so he turns, pees on the mountain's foot, on his armor, and the mountain just crushes him. Just scares the shit out of him and crushes him against the wall and kills him. I mean, that is brilliant, brilliant directing. Um, it kind of reintroduces us in season six to how powerful he is. Uh, but anyway, that's number 41 with the mountain. Now, rounding out the, the, the bottom 10, I guess, and starting the top 40 would be Yara Greyjoy, played by Gemma Whelan. Uh, I, I, another one of these characters that I think if she had a bigger role, she had more to do throughout the seasons, she would be higher up. But she, just doesn't, she doesn't have a big enough role, uh, and I always believed her as a good leader of the Iron Islands, um, You know, even when Euron comes along or when Theon's trying to you know, take his spot as as the leader of the Iron Islands, especially in Season 2, when he's trying to take over Winterfell. I still believe that Yara was the best leader that they had, better than her father for sure. Um, uh, but I could have used more of her, especially you know as she attempts to save Theon in what was way too quick of a scene in Season 4. Uh, I could have used a much, much bigger arc. Maybe... Maybe there wasn't time. Season 4 was already packed with a bunch of storylines coming to a close and new storylines coming in. Um, but but it was, she was in for like one episode. She's like, we're going to go save Theon. Goes there. He doesn't want her help. And she just leaves. Like, that's literally it. She just leaves. Um, so I certainly could have used uh, more of her. Um, I think she's almost a little too cold in that final meeting with everybody in King's Landing when, um, you know, Sansa is pleading for um, freedom in, in Winterfell, and then Tyrion's saying that that uh, that um, Bran is the, it's the best storyline. I don't know. I mean, Yara's a little cold there. Maybe she could have even been more cold and demanded that the Iron Islands has their freedom. Um, surprised she surprised she didn't because that's kind of what Daenerys seemed to have uh, you know uh, promised her back in season seven, no, season six. Um, anyway, that's number 40. Now we're into the top 40 here. Ramsey Bolton at number 39, played by Ewan Rion. And this isn't really a detriment to how good Ewan Rion is. It's more of just, it's, it's one of those things where I, I just can't, 
can't really watch him. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you number 38 is Joffrey Baratheon because it's the same thing. I liked putting them together on the list because I feel like it was, it's, it's so hard to watch them on screen that you can't really say that they're, they're your favorite characters or even like best just because it's it's just so impossible to rewatch some of these scenes especially when like you know Ramsey is pretending to eat Theon's dick it's like a hot dog it's like I mean what Jesus this is I mean creepy as hell but it's brutal um, or when Joffrey's torturing the prostitutes it's like oh I mean God, it's it, the sound of both of their voices makes everyone cringe, both on the show and watching the show. Um, but I will say, both their deaths are fantastic. I mean, the fact that Joffrey is choking on his own words, essentially, uh, and Ramsay is being eaten by his own dogs, his torture animals. Like, I mean, you can't really picture. I mean, that's one of those things that the show, I feel like, just they knew exactly how to kill off like, pretty much every character. Um, not only like the timing of every character's death, uh, but but the way in which it goes down. We'll get to that more as we get further down on the list. But certainly with Ramsey and Joffrey, um, that's the case. Probably you know, Ewan Rion is probably the creepiest presence we've ever had in Game of Thrones. Uh, but Joffrey is is the most evil, I think, because he he I think what's even scarier is that he doesn't even realize what he's doing is you know, that bad, he just, he's just doing it because he can, um, and I guess same to a certain degree with Ramsey, but that's 39, 38, Ramsey and Joffrey, number 37, Masande of Nath, uh, played by Natalie Emanuel, never truly got her, you know, own chance to, to shine in her own arc, but she just had, like, a sweet, warm presence when she was on screen, and you always kind of knew, that there was something, you know, underneath uh, that warmth. Like, you know, she doesn't really ever raise her voice until she's about to die, and she yells Dracarys to Daenerys at the end of uh, Season 8, Episode 4. So, um, I, again, it's too bad Cersei had other plans for her, um, but I loved her presence even if she didn't really ever have a big role on the show. That's number 37. Number 36 is Hodor, played by Christian Narn. Uh, not really much to say with Hodor because he doesn't really ever say anything but Hodor. Um, but he deserved better than to be done like that by the Whites holding the freaking door. Of course, probably one of the most famous pop culture moments of the show in the, in the history. You have like the Red Wedding. You have Daenerys burning down King's Landing. You have the, the fight between the White Walkers. And then you probably have right then and there after Ned Stark's death... Hodor's death when he's holding the freaking door. Um, that's number 36. Number 35, Barrett and Darian, played by Richard Dormer. Another person, uh, he's just got one of those voices. I can listen to Richard Dormer, you know, read, read anything. I mean, you know, narrate any sort of show, any documentary, I'm, I'm locked in. I don't care what the subject is. Um, I'm also very glad that they recast this role because in season one, there was a completely separate actor playing Dundarian, but he just he didn't really have the presence, nor did they really write any material for him. So maybe it's not fair to that actor, um, but he didn't even really have the look, to be honest. Uh, so happy they recast Dormer in the, the role with Dundarian there. Um you know, we, I mean, we were waiting to see, it's another one of these characters, like Thoros Amir, we were waiting to see why in the world is this guy being allowed to, to, to come back to life, you know, all these times from, you know, Thoros Amir resurrecting him, um, and you think maybe, uh, you know, before they kind of decided to not do the Lady Stoneheart arc, maybe it's because of that, maybe he's just, uh, maybe in the books that's the way it is, I don't know, maybe he's, he's being brought back to life so that he can bring, somebody like Catelyn back or maybe even Jon Snow one more time um but it you know it really is because he was one of the ones protecting Arya um so I thought that that's it's just a beautiful storyline that you don't really realize until the the very end um that's number 35 Barrington Darian number 34 is perhaps 
the smallest character to have the biggest presence, if that makes any sense. And that's Liana Mormont, played by Bella Ramsey. What a talented young actress. She's got a massive future in the industry. Um, she, she really, and they talk about this, Dan and Dave always talk about how she was brought on to be a one-episode, one-scene character, and they just liked her so much that they kept bringing her back um, in small scenes, whether it's in season uh, you know, six later on, uh, whether, uh, you know, knighting John, the, the King of the North, um, or crowning King of the North, I should say, or in season seven or in season eight, when she's actually a part of the battle of Winterfell. I didn't expect that at all. I thought she was just going to be off to the side, but of course she's telling, you know, her uncle Jorah moment, like, I'm not going to sit off the side. I can fight better than anybody else here. Um, you know, death scene basically said it all so much power and sass in one little girl, um, what can I say? She's a fantastic character. She had more scenes. She had more seasons. Maybe she'd be higher up, but she, I mean, there's just so many great characters in the show. So I can't, I can't even really say that, that, uh, she's out of place. She's just where she needs to be. Number 33 would be Oberyn Martell. Pedro Pascal plays him. I already kind of talked about him a little bit when I was discussing the mountain. But, I mean, he had, what, seven, eight episodes? He was killed in episode eight. I think he was only in seven of those eight episodes. Um, brilliantly cast, devastating when he died um, because he, he, I mean, he had the mountain right there in his grasp. He had him. Um, you know, if only he just accepted the fact that he could have killed him and not made him, you know, admit to, the, to killing his, um, his sister and his sister's kids. I mean, one of the most gut-wrenching show uh, episodes of the entire show. Um, you know, his, his lust for revenge just got in the way. It's yet another lesson the show gives, to be honest. Um, unfortunately, from here on out, uh, you know, any stuff that references the Martells and any stuff in Dorne never really got to the, you know, it never really got to the quality that Oberyn had. Any stuff with Doran was, um, you know, pretty awful. That's all I'll say. Number 32, Alistair Thorne, played by Owen Teal. Uh, he, along with many others that I have mentioned and will mention, has one of those voices. He's got that villainous voice. I don't even think I've really seen him in anything else. Maybe he was in Bridge of Spies, or maybe I'm just remembering incorrectly because I think Stephen Delane was in Bridge of Spies. Um... You know, but Owen Teal, and, and I kind of like, but I also don't kind of like that you never really understand why he hates Jon Snow so much. You you just kind of accept it. Um, and maybe that that's something that they can explore, and, and I don't think that they're ever going to do this, but maybe it's something they could explore in like a, a an animated miniseries off to the side, or, you know, because then you can get Owen Teal back um, to voice him. Or maybe maybe do a live action six episode miniseries on HBO, kind of you know giving you uh, Alistair Thorne's backstory leading up to when he joins the Wall and then becomes you know the Lord Commander, the, the stand-in Lord Commander uh, right after Jor Mormont dies. Um, I always loved when he would have a scene alone with John, talk about leadership, and you talk about the death of leadership is when he's second guessing. Uh, himself um that's a great scene i really wonder what his life was like before the wall though i mean that's really that's really what it comes down to and and the other question i have is what you know what if he doesn't kill john you know what if they don't betray him you know does john ever really leave the wall if he doesn't get killed because Alistair Thorne's not letting him leave the wall. Does he have to kill Alistair and the rest of them? Does he escape? And then the whole season six, season seven, season eight is him on the run. I don't think it really works because I feel like once you get rid of Alistair Thorne, that kind of that gives John the room to grow as a character and leave um, and become something, become something new. Um, but it's just interesting to think about, for sure. Uh, that's number thirty-two, Alistair Thorne. Number thirty-one is Grey Worm, played by Jacob Anderson. Another character with just tremendous presence, even if he says very, very little, especially in the first season or two, he, he barely has anything to say while he's kind of learning how to uh, speak with the rest of uh, the folks in their marine because, you know, of course they're never really taught how to talk 
um, to normal people as is unsullied. They're just trained to kill. That's really all um, they're trained to do. Um, you know, fortunately, kind of towards the end, it just becomes a, kind of a jackass. Um, but you certainly believe him. You know, when Masande goes, every piece of Grey Worm goes. Uh, emotionally, mentally, he's just all physical. Just he, he's in the Terminator at that point. Um, but he does, you know, before that point, he has a sweet relationship with Masande. There's very little romances in the show, especially little romances that last more than a season. Pretty much always kill off the character after a season or two. Sans, maybe John and, and uh, Ygritte. Um, but I, I do like Grey Worm up until season eight. I should say up until after the Battle of Winterfell. I think that that's really when, uh, you know, when it goes downhill. But that should, I mean, that's the character. You're not really supposed to like him at that point in time. So number 30 is Gendry Baratheon, um, played by Joe Dempsey. Not not an overly complex character. He doesn't really go through his, uh, you know, an overall arc or anything. Um, you know, he's Robert Baratheon's bastard, but, you know, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't really ever change as a person, I should say. Um, so I can't really rank him that high. I do, I mean, I like the character, and I loved when he came back for season seven and season eight, and I love his tiny little moment with Jon Snow when they're in the cave and they're talking about their fathers. I think they probably could have built on that relationship a little more, perhaps if they had more time. Um, I don't want to get into that discussion, though. That opens a can of worms. Um, you know, it's too bad Melisandre tricked him that bad, and and made him go on the run because of, you know, what she did to him. We don't blame you, Gendry. We don't, we certainly don't blame you. Um, but I do envy you to a certain degree being in that point. Uh, all right, top 30. So number 29 is Bronn of Highgarden. That's Jerome Flynn. It's, it feels weird still even saying Bronn of Highgarden. Does he really even deserve Highgarden? I don't really think so. Um, but he never, just like Gendry, actually, he never really changes. And I think that's kind of a positive, actually, because, you know, that's kind of why that season eight scene between him, Tyrion, and Jaime, where he's threatening them, it kind of does work in a way, even if you don't want it to work, because he doesn't, I mean, that's just who he's always been. He's going to come up and threaten you if it's for his life, right? I mean, that's, you know. He, he's going to choose his life over yours any day of the week. Um, so he, he, apparently he's not really a big book character. They just kind of you know, enhanced his role because Jerome Flynn is so freaking good. Um, you know, they all work wonders together, though. Bronn, Tyrion, Jamie, when they have individual scenes, there's some magic happening there for sure. All right, number 28 is Podrick Payne. Uh, played by Daniel Portman, who who knew that this kid could sing as well as he did uh, in season eight. One of the sweetest, um, most genuinely good people on the show. There are very, very few pure and good characters uh, morally, and uh, Podrick is one of those. And and, and you know, some would say maybe he's mostly relegated to the road trip scenes and serving other characters and just kind of. Uh, being a secondary person, but you, you need those, and, and he's still great even in those moments. So that's Podrick at number 28. Number 27 is Jacques Hagar, played by Tom Walsachaka, Walsachia, I don't know, I'm going to mispronounce that. Uh, at least I got Jacques Hagar right. Um, I loved, and, and the one thing I always think about with Jacques is I loved his main theme music. The music that Raman Jawadi played whenever he came on screen, and it kind of fed into what Arya's uh, main theme uh, became. Uh, it was always so great and, and so, I don't want to say mystical, but um, so you know, fun sounding, like so adventurous almost. Um, I was always more of a fan, though, when he was... Um, you know, more mysterious in, in the assassin type than when he was in the House of Black and White. He's just kind of in the background being creepy and, and being tough on Arya and the Waif. Um, but he, even in his creepy moments, he had kind of a warm sensibility, warm presence, I guess, in a way. 
Um, so that's Jackin at number 27. Number 26 is, I guess, not even really a character, um, but more of an evil, just, and I hate reusing the word presence, but he is really just an evil presence, and that's the Night King, played by both Vladimir Furtick and Richard Brake. I probably would have rated him higher if he had more screen time, if they gave him more scenes, but it's more of just a background threat to the rest of the world in Game of Thrones than he is an actual character, and that's why he works so well, to be honest. He has a terrifying, terrifying presence when he's on screen. But I did, even though it's very subtle, and I, I bet you not not many um, people even really realize that they recast the role, but I do prefer the look of him in Hard Home when he was played by Richard Brake than I do um, the look of him later on. Something about his like facial structure that, that worked better when he was like skinnier and the, the chin was more... Um, like witch-like, uh, of course, his stare down with John and at Hard Home is probably one of the best scenes in the history of television, but definitely in the history of Game of Thrones. Um, you know, I mean, he just represents pure evil. I think. I mean, pure evil. I guess kind of out for revenge as well. But but uh, that's the Night King at number twenty-six. At number twenty-five is Tormund Giantsbane played by Christopher Hugju. Uh Just great charisma for Tormund. Even after he helps, you know, murder an entire village with the Fens in Season 4, and that's where Ollie kind of gets out of there and runs to tell the, night, uh, the Night's Watch. Um, even after that moment, he's got great charisma. Are you supposed to root for him? You know, I, I wouldn't say that. Um, as soon as he joins John's cause in Season 5, Though I think you can certainly agree that you can root for him at that point in time because he's decided to fight for the greater good. Uh, it's no longer about himself. He's fighting for the greater good. And of course, his best scene. Anybody would agree. It's not. I mean, his staring at Brienne is pretty great, but it, I think it's more so um, his uh, how he explains how he got his last name. Uh, I still don't know how he survived all those seasons. I... I mean, a guy like this, you, you would just think that uh, he'd be killed off in the Battle of the Bastards or Hard Home or the Battle of Winterfell. You know, I thought there was a chance maybe he he would come south and, and, and go fight in the Battle of King's Landing and so survive that. But luckily he didn't. Didn't want to stretch our believability that far. Um, that's Tormund at number five, or number 25. Number 24, getting into the top 25 here, is Marjorie Terrell. Uh, played by Natalie Dormer. I think back, if, if I would have done this list after season four, um, she would have been top five for me. I love the characters in the show who play the Game of Thrones, who literally represent the actual title of the show. Um, and Marjorie is certainly one of those. I think she's one of the best at playing the Game of Thrones. And one of these days, maybe I'll rank the characters who are the best at playing the actual Game of Thrones. Um, that would be a very fun list to do. There are only about 10 to 12 people on the show that really, really do it. Um, you know, because you have people like Stannis, uh, who doesn't, who don't really play the Game of Thrones. Even Daenerys, to a certain degree, doesn't really play uh, the Game of Thrones. She just wants the throne. She's not really maneuvering pieces to better fit her needs. She's just using her power and her dragons to get there. So I, I wouldn't really say that that's the same. Um, but Marjorie, unfortunately, kind of got stuck with the High Sparrow stuff later on in Season 5 and in Season 6. I had heard that Dormer kind of wanted off the show uh, and wanted to be killed off. Um, you know, so maybe maybe that's why she only had a couple scenes here and there. Um, but she was always playing the Game of Thrones. Even when she was locked up with high, uh, because of the High Sparrow, still playing the Game of Thrones. Um, and I really loved her and Cersei together. Whenever they had scenes, whenever they just would exchange a look uh, together, it was pure magic on screen. So that's Marjorie at number 24. Number 23 is Davos Seaworth, played by Liam Cunningham. Uh, he is best when he's trying to explain things that he doesn't really know about. You know, he'll, he'll do something like, I don't really know about uh, boats, but I do know that John's a good man. You know, that, that type of sentence. Whenever he'd say something like that, he was in his best form. Um, another character who's got one of those voices. You knew he kind of had to live throughout the entire show. 
Uh, he's not one of those characters you really kill off, I don't think. Uh, but I'm curious to see, you know, now that he became, um, you know, master of, uh, was he master of ships? No, who was master of ships? Was it Davos? I don't even remember now. Um, but now that he's on the high council, does he ever return to his wife that he talks about? Like, it, it, throughout all these seasons, he probably could have returned at least once and said hi. Um, but he did not. So I, I don't really know how that works. Um, number 22 is Stannis Baratheon. thought I would might kind of work to just put him and uh, you know Davos together since they were such an integral part of the show from seasons 2 to 5 together. You know, Barat- Stannis is, is one of those characters that just had so many unfortunate choices lead to his downfall. You know, he truly thought he was the prince of his promise. Melisandre convinced him that... Um, you know, Ned even put him his faith into uh, Stannis becoming king, which is certainly one of the decisions for Ned that kind of led to his downfall. Um, you know, maybe he would have, maybe if he would have picked Renly like Renly wanted him to, maybe if, if he would have just sat on the throne himself, like like uh, Littlefinger tells him, that could have saved him. Um, you know, but Stannis himself, too many, too many. Poor choices. I, you know, of course, killing his daughter. Um, just how things could have been different. How things could have been different. Um, but I think my favorite moments with Stannis are actually him on the wall uh, with John, with Jon Snow. Um, I, I think that power dynamic is very interesting because Stannis is kind of telling John uh, about how if he chooses to not become who he is, John Stark, or at least who we thought he was at the time. Um, that could lead to his downfall, and eventually, of course, you know, Stannis kind of tells him that he's going to get betrayed. You know, people who uh, don't like him at the wall, and of course, when Stannis leaves, he gets killed. So, you know, that's uh, that's Stannis's wisdom for you. Uh, number twenty-one, I have Lord Varys, played by Conleth Hill. Perhaps, and I'm trying to think on the spot here. He might be perhaps the only character on the show. That is actually bipartisan. Who who actually wants the best for the realm? I mean, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that is that way. Not really, because even somebody like Tyrion, he kind of wants to be hand of the king. You know, like Varys is not wanting to sit on the throne, and Tyrion certainly wants the best. What's best for the realm, like Varys, but I think he also he also wants the throne. Or he wants to, to, to be the hand of the king. So he Varys doesn't want really anything for himself. He just wants something for the realm. So it makes that makes him very, very unique as a character. Um, and, you know, we'll never know what he heard in the fire. Unfortunately, Daenerys made sure that we'll never know what he heard in the fire. Uh, that's number 21. Now we're into the top 20. And another character pairing I thought would just work too well not to include it this way and it kind of is still the true ranking anyway, is uh, Littlefinger at number 20. Played by Aiden Gillen, one of the best players at the Game of Thrones. Um, again, he might he might be at top of the list if, if I had who plays Game of Thrones the best. Or at least, you know, he likes to think that he's the best at playing Game of Thrones. Um, you know, he is one of the people who set the entire events of the show kind of in order, kind of set it on course um with the whole dagger situation which i guess we found out was joffrey but uh but um littlefinger had a role in that um and of course littlefinger's real name is peter baelish um but is his finest moments when he said uh you know chaos is a ladder uh, to varus in the throne room there or is it uh, telling ned i told you not to trust me uh you know, after he betrays Ned there, uh, and his death certainly worked for me, getting his throat slashed by Arya with Sansa carrying out the sentence was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, the person who passes the sentence should, out, should also swing the sword. Sansa and Arya teaming up for that. Perfect. Picture freaking perfect. Uh, into the top 20. Number 19, Robert Baratheon, played by Mark Addy. Another character who's got one of those voices. Um, one of his favorite, mo- or one of my favorite moments of his, uh, is actually another quiet, 
uh, discussion moment. Um, and really, when you think about it, the best moments in the show kind of are the, the discussion moments that they have, the small, quiet uh, scenes between two characters. And that's when he's talking with Cersei about, like, do they have a chance? Does this, did, this, does the, did this marriage ever have a chance? Um, and Cersei just straight up tells him, no, no, we didn't. We never really had a chance. And then he just laughs. Um, that's the type of guy he was. Never a great leader. He wanted to win the war. I don't think he should have ever sat on the throne. It was a bad decision for him. He got fat. He got old. He got cranky. He got bad at, at being a leader. Um, you know, some of his great stuff is also when he has those talks with Ned, especially down in the, uh, the crypts in the first ever episode. One of the things I was thinking about and what I wrote down here in my notes is, do, you know, do we think that deep down that he knew that Lyanna loved Rhaegar and his entire um, purpose for the war and why he became who he became was based on a lie? Um, and does he know that his his kids are essentially a lie, that they're not his kids, that they're Jamie's kids? Does he deep down think that, that none of them look like him at all? Um, I think that he very well may think that. Uh, but who knows? We're never going to know. He's dead. Number 18 is Olena Tyrell, played by Diana Rigg. Uh, perhaps the best insult maker on the show, along with somebody coming up here. Uh, witty, sassy. She kills Joffrey. But her best moment is not when she kills Joffrey. It's when she admits that she kills Joffrey to Jamie. Who is more badass and somebody taking poison and then admitting to the person who gives them poison. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, I killed your son. And uh, please tell Cersei because I want her to know that I killed your son. Uh, and he deserved to die. It's like uh, that is, I mean, because that moment Jamie doesn't know what to do. You know, because there's no point in Jamie killing her with a sword or anything like that. It doesn't matter at that point. Um, so that's Olenna Tyrell, number 18. Number 17 is Brienne of Tarth, played by Gwendolyn Christie. One of the best arcs the show has ever presented. Um, when she when she goes from uh, you know being a fighter in Loras's Kingsguard to when she finally smiles after the entire show's arc when she becomes an actual knight and she's knighted by Jamie in season eight. Um, I mean, her smile certainly brought a tear to my eye. Always selfless. Um, her and Jamie were likely, I'd say, probably the second best road trip gang of the entire run. Um, and we know who the we know who the best road trip gang is. We know who it is. We'll get to that later on. Um, she's always like beautifully fierce in every moment. Like there's always she's not just fighting to fight. I think she certainly likes fighting, um, but she's doing to protect somebody at all times. Whether it's Catelyn, whether it's Jamie whether it's Arya, whether it's Sansa, whether it's, I guess, John in a way. Um, you know, Brienne is just, she's one of the best. Most loyal character. Sansa stuff, when, when, she, uh, when she allows Brienne to finally protect her, is brilliant. Anyway, so that's Brienne of Tarth at number 17. Number 16 is Sandor, the Hound of Clegane, played by Rory McCann. Another pairing I thought would work too well together to not have it this way is the Hound and Brienne right back to back there. Probably would be a, a lot higher in a lot of other people's lists, but there's just certain characters ahead of the Hound that I like just a tad better. Um, perhaps he may be the second best at insults, um, and he's definitely got one of those voices as well. I think he's probably he probably has the best kills, along with his brother on the show as well. Uh, his dynamic with Arya uh, on those road trips, which I think are the best on the show. Uh, or Brienne, his fight with Brienne in his moment later on in season seven when they're reunited, or his even tiny little moments with Sansa in season two and then in season eight when he's like, "If you would have came with me, nothing, nothing like this would have ever happened." Love all that stuff. Um, and, and I mean, how can you not like his end, his ultimate, you know, revenge on his brother? You, I mean, I think that that might be his finest hour. Is when he finally, it's like, screw it. I'm not going to kill him without dying. I'm just going to push, you know, the mountain through the freaking wall of King's Landing into the fire. Couldn't be any other more poetic way for him to go. That's the Hound at number 16. Number 15 is your grit, Rose Leslie. Um, she's got one of those voices. 
one of the most attractive people on the show. Can't help but think that Jon Snow, hell, he was very lucky to be, um, you know, put in that point um, back in season two. Of course, eventually, uh, you know, marries her. Um, she go- gives what may be the most famous quote in the show's history, and that is, you know nothing, Jon Snow, which is later repeated by somebody else who may make their, her way onto this list pretty soon. She's got perhaps maybe the best romance in any season with Jon. Uh, beautiful shot of her and Jon atop the wall with the sun in the background in season three when they finally climb the wall. Um, I mean, it's she's got a hilarious moment when she's trying to sleep with Jon at night and, and keeps bugging Jon keeps kind of you know rubbing up against john making him uncomfortable it's hilarious um but it's also kind of romantic in a way i guess as well you kind of you definitely feel the romance beginning to blossom that's number 15 number 14 is daenerys targaryen played by amelia clark quite possibly too low on the list only time will tell um but it's really only due to the strength of the characters ahead of her can't really imagine anyone else in the role even though they did have another actress initially um so that's always interesting to think about I mean, her coming out of the fire twice in the show is some of those powerful imagery shows ever presented. Um, her chemistry with John, especially when she does so much with just her face without even speaking a word, just her like swallow that she gives after she asked John, you know, I didn't even give you permission to go north of the wall and, and take that walker. And John's just describing to her how much of a leader he knows he is. In a way, he's, he's not bragging or anything like that, but he's just basically saying like, you know, I'm not going to stop now. Like, I'm not, I'm not not going there. I'm absolutely going to do my duty and go fight beyond the wall and take one of these things um, like I know I can. Brilliant acting by her when, she, when she's just listening to that. And that's some of the best acting on the show is just when characters listen to each other. Um, her relationship with Jorah absolutely breaks me. And yes, I absolutely love her evil turn that she makes, or just maybe villain turn, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, in season eight. Number 13 is Jorah Mormont, played by Ian Glenn. Absolutely breaks my heart more than any other character on the show. Unrequited love is is tough, um, and he goes through it throughout all the eight seasons. Never uh, returned. I mean, Daenerys loves him in a way, but it's not it's not the same way. It's not the same way that, that he loves her. Of course, his betrayal is unfortunate because he loses so much time and eventually nearly gets killed by Grayscale because of that betrayal. But I guess in a way he ultimately does find Tyrion, you know, resets his relationship with Danny. Um, but my favorite moment with him is kind of him and Danny. Um, but it's 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 when she orders him to find a cure for Grayscale. That's powerful. That's powerful acting by both of them. Um, number thirteen, Jorah moment. Number twelve is Rob Stark, played by Richard Madden, the perfect successor to Ned, in a way, which also made him. Uh, the perfect target to die at the Red Wedding because, you know, they wouldn't kill him too, right? Like, you're like, well, of course the son's going to get revenge uh, for his father being beheaded. Uh, apparently, he's not a POV character in the book, so he doesn't have as big of a role, but I think that they just loved watching Richard Madden so much that they just were forced to, like, well, we got to include more with this guy because he's just so dang good. Um, but he just made too many mistakes along the way. Uh, you know, when he captures Jamie, it's fantastic. Yeah, there's just too many mistakes when he marries Talisa. It's unfortunate. Um, when he beheads the car Stark, it's unfortunate. Um, I mean, the lies he gives to Walter Frey eventually gets him killed. You know, he's a great speech maker along with, with, with John, but and he wanted to be a leader. Of course, John didn't, um, but ultimately, his mistakes lead to his downfall. Number 11 is Sansa Stark, played by Sophie Turner. Another character who shifted so much during the course of the show even if it wasn't for the you know or i should say if it wasn't for the first few seasons where it's just so hard to watch her character go through the struggle she goes through and be that whiny little jerk that she that she doesn't realize she is at first uh she'd probably be higher on the list um but the powerful sansa in season six to season eight is fantastic her reunion with reunion with john is top five probably top five maybe top 10 moments of the show in history definitely cried in that moment cry every time it happens uh her walk away from ramsey after she kills him is perfect um her dynamic with danny is season eight 
although frustrating at times, it's very real, and I love seeing two women talk about power like that. Uh, that was something very unique on the show that they didn't have uh, the rest, really the rest of the seasons. But um, anyway, that's number 11. Number 10 is Tyrion Lannister, Peter Dinklage. I think, again, kind of similar to Sansa in the opposite way. He was a central point in season 1 to 4. But then in season 5 to season 8, he's a central point, but it's not his story anymore. He's It's not his story in King's Landing. Uh, he's with John. He's with Danny. It's their story. He's just following along. Uh, he just becomes more secondary, I guess. Um, but my favorite moments of his were his stuff on the wall with Jon Snow, of course. Um, any scene he had with Cersei or Tywin, especially the moments where they're where him and Cersei are almost kind of embracing each other, or when he walks away from Tywin uh, after the conversation in season three before Tywin, you know, finishes uh, um, his sentence to to him uh, about how you know he wishes he wasn't alive, and it's like, oh, it's brutal. But I think you know, I think his his stuff will always be better when he was at King's Landing. Uh, prefer the when then after he got locked up and he had to leave King's Landing. So anyway, number nine is Tywin Lannister, Charles Dance. He's certainly got one of his voices. I think he has one of the best voices, and he's another great player of the Game of Thrones. Um, some of my favorite stuff of his uh, is when he's with Arya in season two, or even in season. I think it's yeah, it's definitely season three when they're talking. Uh, he's talking Joffrey. Uh, right near the throne, and uh, you know, Joffrey's like, I, 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 I wish I was counseled. I wish I was advised during these, uh, you know, meetings that you guys have at the High Council. And he's like, Oh, you're free to join the High Council. He's like, I'm counseling you right now, and it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Um, I love when he refuses to believe that Cersei's telling him the truth about about her children and about how her and Jamie have always been together he's just a ruthless leader um and i love that he came into the throne room shitting off a horse and he left the uh, king's landing shitting uh, on the shitter when Tyrion kills him i think it's just brilliant brilliant stuff number eight is Arya stark played by Maisie williams the hero of winterfell came so freaking far since season one another character i love her main theme music her road trips with the hound are great assassin uh, season five, season six, uh, was great. Although the stuff at the House of Black and White can be kind of dull, um, but I love when she comes up with season seven, season eight. She deserves to win the Emmy for season eight. She's fantastic. Maisie Williams came so far and uh, probably jumped up on this list, maybe higher than any other character, at least since the first couple seasons. Her and Sansa. Um, number seven is Melisandre, played by Curry Van Houten. Her theme. Her theme music is one of the most eerie and unsettling things I've ever heard. Um, and she's just got, she's certainly got one of those voices. And I love that she never flutters. She never, the only time she's ever really vulnerable is when Davos is kind of confronting her about, about what she did to Shireen. Um, it's just so much power for a role that requires you to be so vulnerable in positions. It's weird, you know, um, at least vulnerable body-wise. Maybe not, maybe not mentally, um, but character, body-wise, um, always, rarely ever has her clothes on, um, but always has such a powerful presence. So it's it's power. That's that's a very impressive as an actress when you can do that. Um, I think my favorite moment of hers, musically and um, just as a character, is when she tells Jon Snow the regret line like you know nothing Jon Snow and it's like what the hell how did she even oh gosh all right number six Cersei Lannister played by Lena Headey uh maybe a little high maybe a little or maybe a little low um but she might even be and I you know I haven't seen every tv show but she could possibly be the biggest villain in tv history and what makes it even more impressive um is that she barely ever raises her voice except when Joffrey dies um, I think maybe her best moment is, is when she says, I choose violence in season six, uh, and then taking, you know, her best wine sip ever, maybe the best wine sip in TV or film history after she blows up the big sept. Um, 
And I gotta, I'm not going to lie to you. I hated her from the moment she made Ned kill Lady in episode two. That is still probably the hardest episode to watch because Ned has to kill what is essentially a dog. Number five. Now we're into the top five. Theon Greyjoy, played by Alfie Allen. Another character, and I think maybe he did go through the biggest change from season one to season eight, hated him at first. Absolutely despised him. Um, but when Alfie Allen gets the chance to play the broken side of Theon, uh, he does it so well in season four through season eight, especially in season seven and season eight. When he breaks down in front of John in season seven is great. Uh, when he saves Sansa in season six, and of course reunited in season eight, it broke my heart. I cried. Uh, he's one of the best. And the, of course the line, excuse me, that Bran gives to him at the end, right before he dies, is, you know, you're a good man, Theon. Thank you. It's like, oh, God, that's, that is, he just wanted somebody to tell him he was, you know, he did something good. He wanted somebody to accept him. That's absolutely brutal. That's number five. Number four is Catelyn Stark, played by Michelle Fairley. You know, was initially a different actress, apparently. Uh, I love that her character is very much like Moira on Arrow, if uh, anybody watches that show. I grab, I really gravitate towards these powerful and protective mothers. I don't, you know, it, it like Cersei, her, Moira. Um, it, it, for some reason, maybe it's easier to write those type of characters on, on because it's a natural thing for mothers to be very protective. I don't know. Um, but I really, really love, uh, love those characters. But my favorite scene of hers, and it's maybe my favorite scene in the entire show, is when she breaks down to Lisa and tells her, you know, why not loving Jon Snow kind of is causing uh, the entire events of the show to to befold on on her family. It basically explains the show to a T. Um, and of course, her death in the Red Wedding is absolutely iconic. All right, number three would be Catelyn Stark's husband, or former husband, Ned Stark, played by Sean Bean. One of two actors, David and Dan, apparently sought out and never auditioned anyone else for the role. Um, perhaps like the most honorable guy on the show to his fault. Um, it, you know, it's, it's weird. It's like nobody ever kills off the lead of a show. You're not going to kill off Ned Stark. And of course they did. I mean, his death absolutely defined the show. It presented how television um, you know, can be when they actually take risks, which I still don't feel like enough shows do. Um, but every time I watch that first season, I really wish he could make better decisions. Uh, you know. And the one thing I do wish for him actually as well is I wish he had a scene with Tywin. I just feel like those two characters deserved a scene together. Um, and of course, his stuff with, with Varys down in the dungeon, talking about you know, what his life means and, and how, uh, you know, like, what, what do you think? My life is some precious thing to me. Like, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I absolutely love uh, those scenes. And uh, as well, any scene that he has with Catelyn or John. Now we're in the top two. So it's going to come down to two characters, and I've gone back and forth for, for years between which one I like more. But I'm going to number two is Jamie Lannister. Nicolai Coster-Waldo plays him. For how much I freaking hated his Prince Charming face in the first season to what became possibly the most complex character in TV history in season eight and, and the rest of the show, um, you know, his, the only fault that I have with, with his character was that non-consensual sex that he had with Cersei. Uh, in season four, I did did not like. I mean, I, I don't know why they include that scene. I still don't understand it. Um, but one of my favorite scenes is when he's telling Cersei, you know, if they betray if they betray Danny and John and the rest of the the folks that are going, you know, um, up there to to fight the Walkers, um, you know, she he, he's like, you know, if 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 they win, they march south to kill us all. If the Walkers win, they march south and kill us all. Like. Yeah. I is no other no other thing to say. I mean, that's that's all that's gonna happen. Cersei's like, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. We're we're staying here. I'm not leaving. Um, I mean, his stuff with Tyrion, Bronn, Brienne, Catelyn. He had such a great relationship, or complex relationship with so many characters in this show. Um, could have used more scenes with him and John. He gets like one or two maybe together. Um, but of course he dies with the woman he loves. Can't can't fault him there. Number one is, of course, who 
who else could it be but Jon Snow, played by Kit Harrington? I was kind of indifferent to him in the first couple seasons, admittedly. Um, I always liked Kit Harrington, but I felt that his stuff was more boring than it should have been. Um, and the stuff at the wall, when stuff wasn't happening, he's just like training. It's like, all right, I could be with Ned Stark here. I could be with Jamie. Or I could be more with stuff with um, with Rob and Catelyn. Um, but as soon as he gets killed, I mean, I guess it really comes out when he first meets your grit. His character gets a lot better. Um, but I mean, my favorite character is, is, or my favorite moment of his is probably um, a couple moments. But when he's you know talking to Sansa right after she comes back and they meet again, you know, when he's like, I'm tired of fights and, uh, you know, I've, all my life I've only done is fighting since I left Winterfell. And it's like, oh, it's brutal. But he knows he's got to fight the Battle of the Bastards. Um, one of the most impressive cinematic TV episodes in history. What a character. He comes full circle by the end, going back to the wall, going to his true home, the deep north. I mean, it's like it's just written so freaking beautifully. Um, and I, again, I can't imagine anybody else playing him but Carrington. Uh, anyway, that is the that's the episode. That's the list. Uh, who knows what we're gonna do for next week? Maybe it's in it chapter two, full spoiler discussion. I don't know. We're gonna figure it out. Um, longest episode I've ever done here, but deserved it. Haven't talked about Game of Thrones in in too long. Needed to be an episode based on it. That's it. That's the episode. Until next time. Thanks.